Have you not seen in my word? And have you not heard me say that you rest safely in my hands all through the night and all through the day? For I am the Lord your God, your Father who cares for you. So turn to me with your cares and I will watch over you. My word is full of promises. My word is steadfast and sure. My word is what you are to stand upon. My word will come through for you. For I have said from the beginning to the end that I care for you. And I have made promise after promise that I will watch over you. So look not to your left Look not to your right, and look not anxiously about. Listen not to the reports of evil. Listen listen not to the reports of doubt. But set your eyes upon me, and open your ears to hear. For I will give you wisdom and peace that the world cannot do because it is not near. For my spirit dwells within you. And he is the spirit of peace. And he wants to reign in your heart and your mind so that there is no lack of peace. And in that peace you will hear. And in that peace you will know. For without that peace you cannot discern. And you do not know which way to go. The enemy casts cares around you and throws them at your feet to confuse your mind and set your eyes upon the things that are not neat. But if you will resist him and and stand steady upon me and listen not to what he says to you, then he will flee. For I have promised in my word that as you put your trust in me, I will provide and protect and you will have nothing but glee. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 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 For his word says, his word says, God's word to you. The same word that created the universe. The same word that we trust for our salvation. The same word we believe that says there's a heaven. The same word we believe that says that Jesus paid for our sins. That same God, that same word says that we are to be anxious for nothing. That whatever we are to want to be anxious about, that ever whatever we would be anxious about, we are to make our requests known to him with thanksgiving. And if we do that, that same God whose word created the universe whose word is holding the universe in its place today that same God whose word we trust for our soul and whose word we trust for our future that same God has promised you that the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart the enemy's after your heart to sow cares in your heart the cares of this world because they'll choke of God off. When your heart is full of the cares of this world, it's hard to hear 
the Spirit of God directing you and prompting you because He speaks into your heart. And if your heart has cares in there, it's hard to hear. That's why Jesus told His disciples before He left them, My peace I give you, not the peace of the world. The peace of the world is determined by your circumstances. The peace of the world is determined by the reports that you see and the reports that you hear. But the peace of God does not come from what you see and from what you hear. The peace of God comes from within. And it is God's gift to you. Just as much as salvation, just as much as the Spirit of God is, the peace of God is a gift to you from God as a provision for you. Remember, we studied it's part of the armor of God that keeps you steady and strong and secure so you can hear. So the enemy's after your peace. But it's God's peace He's given to you. He can't take it away from you. I said He can't take it away from you. He can't take away from you something He didn't give you. Oh, listen to that. He can't take away from you something He didn't give you. But, remember we've learned, we're learning about His wiles and tricks. He can con you into putting it down. The only avenue He has at you is through what you see, what you hear, and what you think about what you see, and what you think about what you hear. So go to the Word of God. The Word of God is a two-edged sword. We're going to learn about that a little later on. It's the only offensive weapon we see in here in Ephesians 6. It is the Word of God is a two-edged sword, and it will drive him away. But you've got to speak the Word and speak the Word and speak the Word and speak the Word and speak the Word, and then you've got to do what the Word says. And when the Word says be anxious for nothing, when you catch yourself being anxious, stop. Say, what does the Word say to do? It says to make my request known unto him with thanksgiving. Praise God. Peter says, cast your care on him. That's how you do it. Because he cares for you. The peace of God. The peace of God that passes understanding. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight that you have made provision for us. We thank you tonight that you have given us your peace. Father, we determine tonight that we will no longer cast it away, but that we will come to you boldly and with confidence. Your word says that we are to come with confidence and boldness in time of need, that we may receive help and grace in time of need. We come to you tonight, Father. We take the cares of our life right now, whether our finances or health or family or jobs or whatever it may be. If it's just the uncertainties of life, and we roll those cares over us. We ask you for the answers. We ask you for the wisdom. We ask you for the provision for whatever is needed. We rest now back in the peace that you provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Sometimes you just got to have a rolling over. Six, which talks about the helmet of salvation, which, as I shared with you, literally means to, to, to wrap, to, to receive something. The word take up there does not mean take up the same way it means in other places. It means to receive something that's given to you. And it means to receive something that's wrapped around your head. And we've talked about the helmet of salvation really involves the process of renewing your mind. And at that point, we've just kind of parked there for a few weeks. And I'm sharing with you some of the materials that I've taught before in School of Ministry on the renewing your mind because I really felt impressed 
that it is an important thing for us to learn how to do. And we're getting into some of the practical things about it now. So if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin to talk about the process of renewing your mind. And, and we've shared with you what renewing your mind literally means is to change the patterns of your mind. Your mind works in patterns of thought. Some of your patterns are more logical than other people's patterns. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not patterns of thought. And, and, and it took me a while to, to uh, accept that uh, because my wife doesn't think the way I think. <laughs> and all the men said, I was pretty weak, gentlemen. <laughs> you got to be honest. <laughs> I've shared with you, you know, I remember years ago complaining to God saying, Lord, I can't, I've tried hard to get her to learn to think right, to think the way I think. And God blew me away. He said, I didn't make her to think that way. And <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit that was a shock to me because my thought was, why not? <laughs> but it began to open a whole new world to me to realize that, 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 that everybody didn't do things the way I did them and that actually there was another right way to do things. And, 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 <laughs> and I've, had, I've had to grow in the process and still am growing. Praise God. So it, it started, it started in, in, in a, um, an adventure, let's put it this way, to discover and underst- or attempt to understand. I can't understand how she thinks, but accept that she thinks that way. But it's in patterns. And it's important to understand that because the reason what a pattern is, is it's something that's repeated over and over again. See, if, it, if it's a logical pattern, it's a, it repeats logic over and over again. But, but just because it's not logical doesn't mean it's not the same pattern over and over again. So it's important to understand that your mind thinks in patterns of thoughts because renewing the mind is really the process of changing those patterns so that they line up with how God thinks because His Word is filled with, with instructions as to how God thinks. We saw back in Isaiah 55, He says, My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, his ways are different because his thoughts are different. But we, he, and he says, and my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But he never says we can't think his thoughts. In fact, that's one of the purposes for this book, is to teach us how he thinks so we can learn to think the way he thinks. And as we begin to think the way he thinks, we'll start acting the way he acts, and his ways will become our ways. I know it's possible because in, in um, Psalm 103, God speaks through, through David about Moses and says, Moses knew, the children of Israel knew God's acts or deeds, but Moses knew his ways. So Moses knew God at a level that the children of Israel did not. God invited them to know him at that level, but they decided not to do that. They just wanted to know what God said through Moses. They didn't want to know what he thought. And that's true of a lot of us sometimes. We want to know what somebody says, but we don't really care what they think. So what we're learning how to do is to renew or to learn to think the way God thinks. So we're spending a few weeks now with some practical ways to learn how to do that. 
And that's what I felt impressed to do, not just to tell you we ought to renew our mind, but to tell you things I've learned. These are things I've learned. And there's some good books, there's good resources out there, but this is things I've literally learned by taking the Word of God and applying it in my life. And I'm not, certainly not fully there, but I'm not where I used to be. We went over some very basic keys to understand. I'm just going to quickly go through them. And what these are is understanding some basic principles that will help you apply the tools that we're going to learn. And the first is you have to decide that the Word is the authority in your life. It's not an influence. It's not a, it's not a book full of good ideas and suggestions. It is the authority in your life. And we're going to see why that's so important because we're going to use the Word of God to change the way we think. The second thing is you've got to get control of your mind. And I taught you, you are able to control your mind. I didn't say it won't take work, but you are, if you don't think you can gain control of it, you won't. But if you believe you can gain control of it, you will. Now, it, you know, it may have been out of control for years. I assure you, some of you aren't even sure you have a mind. <clears throat> well, what I mean by that is not that you're mindless, is you don't realize there's a distinction between you and your mind. You are not your mind. You are not your thoughts because otherwise you can't change them. If you, don't, if you believe you're, you are your thoughts, then you might as well just fold it up now and quit because you'll never change. But your mind is a tool that God's given to you. And that tool can be sharpened, that tool can be changed, and I don't care what age you are. It's just a matter of work and effort. And so we learned that, and we learned some keys about doing that, that you're not your mind. And, and then we saw that this principle that whatever you pay attention to gets bigger in your mind. So the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And that's going to become a very important principle when it comes to taking some of these tools and applying them. And, and uh, uh, then we talked about uh, getting things out of your life that reinforce the things that you think about that you want to change. Because you can't, you, <laughs> you can't be determining that you're not going to eat chocolate and work in a candy store. <laughs> not good advice. You may be able to do it, but you're a rare person. Most people that are having trouble with chocolate should not be working in a candy store. So get those things out of your life that you're trying to overcome, whether they're people or influences, whether it's things like television, whatever it may be. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says that we are to lay aside every sin, every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. There are things in your life that may not be sin, but they're weights, things that are slowing you down and weighing you down from finishing your course. And we're to lay those things aside. And so, especially for renewing the mind. All right. Now, we're going to begin to talk about this process now and the basic elements of it, and then I'm going to eventually, not tonight probably, teach you some of the techniques. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, talks about a warfare, and that's what we've been studying, of course, is spiritual warfare. Well, let's let's start in verse 3. Paul was in a spiritual battle with his church. This was a church he had founded, he had established, in order to understand some of what we're going to talk about tonight in terms of these scriptures, but Uh, You have to understand what what the church at Corinth was and where Corinth is. Corinth was was a city that was was a Roman capital in what we would call southern Greece now. 
It was the part of Greece in the biblical times called Achaia. There were two parts of what we would call Greece. There's Macedonia, which is the northern part, and Achaia, which is the southern part. And the principal cities in Achaia were Athens and Corinth. And Corinth was a Roman capital. So that means it had proconsuls there. It had a seat of government there. And it also was, was a center of learning, of higher education. And in, in the Greeks, especially the, 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 the southern Greeks, the Achaean Greeks, they worshipped the mind. They were very intellectual. That was the source of, 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 of modern of philosophy, not just modern philosophy, of all philosophy. The, the study of philosophy came from these Greeks, and they just loved to stand around every day in the marketplace and just debate ideas. And when Paul was in Athens, he went up to the Acropolis and he went there because he met with them and he was trying to, to enter into an engagement with them and they just kind of sloughed him off. And they, they lifted reason up. I mean, reason and, and intelligence and education were the things that they worshipped. And that's still very true in this country today because in our society, the, the, the culture still to some degree worships and, and, and looks up to and reverences education. I was raised in a family, sharing with somebody the other day. I was raised in a family that was, that, that uh, my stepfather graduated from Princeton University, I think at like 18 years of age. One of the, at the time, he was the youngest person to have graduated from there. Brilliant man. Absolutely brilliant mind. Brilliant lawyer. He died, he almost died in a gutter drunk kicked out of the law firm that had his name on it. With all of his intelligence, with all of his education, he couldn't deal with life. Because the mind cannot handle and is not intended to handle some of the issues of life. And so Paul is writing to a church that's steeped in that. And they become very proud and they become very arrogant to the point that they think that they're smarter than he is. And they've accused him of some things. They've accused him of, 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 of being proud. They've accused him of being harsh with them when he's away. His letters are harsh, but when he's with them, he's weak. What he was was restrained. This was the church Paul founded. That would be like us getting together and if Pastor Sam was still alive, saying, you can't come back here. (laughs) Those of you that knew him. (laughs) But that's what, in essence, this was like. And what this letter is about, both 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, it is Paul artfully correcting them. Paul had a very sharp tongue. And you can see, especially in 2 Corinthians, late, going later on, starting around, around well, a little later on, in, later on in this chapter, and then beginning in chapter 11, he gets sarcastic with them. So there's a, there's, but he recognizes this is a spiritual battle. Remember, Paul's the same one that in Ephesians chapter 6 we've been studying, says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So he recognizes the problem here is not them. The problem here is there's spirits that are using them to stop the Word of God from prospering in that area. So that's the background here. So we'll pick up... Well, let's just start in verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in 
who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. There's some sarcasm, because that's what they had accused him of. I beg you that what I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which with I intend to be bold against some of you who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. Now, this, this is a little insight. In, they were f- steeped in spiritual pride. The most dangerous sin is spiritual pride. Pride is the most dangerous sin, and spiritual pride is the most dangerous of the dangerous. The danger of pride is in the middle of it, people are sincere because they think they're seeing truth and they're motivated by the truth that they think they see. So they'll go to the mat on it, convinced they're right and convinced that God is behind them. And because they're convinced they're right in God's eyes and God is behind them, they'll literally go to the death over it. Convinced they're right. And what they see may be right, but they're not seeing the whole picture. And because of the pride, they're blind to seeing anything other than what they're looking at. And that's where this church was. And the reason that we know is they were, they were so convinced because God was using them in the gifts of the Spirit. You see this in 1 Corinthians. They had the gifts flowing in abundance. But Paul in his letter, first letter calls them carnal, acting like mere men. Why? Because they couldn't get along with each other. So here the gifts of the Spirit are flowing and out of their immaturity, they're mistaking the gifts of the Spirit for God's approval of their spiritual maturity. Water will flow through any vessel that's open. The fact that water flows through a hose doesn't mean the hose is good doesn't tell you anything about the hose except it's not leaking. You don't look at the water coming out and say, wow, what a wonderful hose. The only reason the water's coming out is the hose was open. And the only reason the Spirit of God flowed through them is they were open. He'll use whatever open vessel he can because he's not flowing as an approval of the vessel he's using I mean, the greatest story, of course, is Balaam. God prophesied to him through a donkey. But the donkey didn't go off saying, I must be a prophet. (laughs) The donkey didn't go and start his own ministry, although I think I've seen him in some ministries. (laughs) Stubborn, mule-headed. So the fact that God was using them simply meant they were open. God's measure of our spirituality is how we walk in love with one another, how we act like Christ and how we talk like Christ. That's the measure. See, we're being, we're being conformed to His image. 
But they didn't understand that. And they didn't receive the correction too well when Paul gave it to them. So Paul writes his second letter, and he realizes he's, he's in a, in a, there's a spiritual warfare going on, and they've called him carnal because he doesn't agree with them. <laughs> See, people in spiritual pride will call you all kinds of names when you don't agree with them because, remember, they're right. All right. So, who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So, although I live in a human body, a flesh body, I don't war in this battle by, the, by my body. I don't war with fleshly weapons, which is anger and strife, getting back at people. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they're mighty in God, some translations say through God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, the New King James says arguments, the King James says imaginations. Talk about that in a minute. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do not look at things according to outward appearance, for if anyone is convinced in himself that he's in Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, so also are we Christ. Well, let's go back and take this apart a little bit. In the context we're talking about is spiritual warfare. Let's look in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We've seen in our study of Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And that even includes you. We've talked about, you know, looking at your neighbor here or your spouse, or, or people around you, or, or your boss, or, or your neighbor at home, or whoever's giving you a hard time, and realizing that's not where the battle is. But there are spiritual forces that are using that person to get at you. Well, look at your hands. Touch it. Touch your face. That's flesh, right? Right? So that scripture also applies to you. That means your warfare is not against who you are either. But it's against spiritual forces using your flesh. I don't think I ever taught that before. I mean, it's got to apply that way. Because he doesn't say except you. So the spiritual battle we're in the weapons that God has provided for us are not of the flesh. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly, which means they're not weak. Because the flesh has no strength against the spiritual battle. And that's exactly the device the enemies tricked us into using. We try to fight, first of all, the wrong enemy, and then we try to fight him with our flesh by getting angry, getting even. Whatever it is, that first thing that comes to your mind when somebody does something, that's most likely flesh until your mind's been renewed. The things you want to say, the things you want to do to get back at them, that's flesh. 
That's a weapon you want to use. I want to, I want to inflict harm on them, pain on them, because they put pain on me. That's our flesh wanting to get back at them. That's warfare. But the, remember, we're renewing our minds. The Scripture says, your, the weapons that your flesh have are no contest. They have no power against the real enemy that you're fighting. So in Ephesians, we find out who the real enemy is. Now in 2 Corinthians 10, we're finding out what the weapons are that we have to use against him. But the first thing we see is they're not fleshly weapons. So we can't just react. Whatever comes against you, you've got to first of all discipline yourself to not react. Because 99.9999% of the time, your reaction is going to be wrong. Instead, we have to learn to respond. There's a difference between responding and reacting. Reacting is when someone comes up and shoves you, and your first instinct is to shove them back. Respond is when you've calculated what the right thing to do is. It's a measured answer. Sometimes it's not to answer at all. That can be a response, to say nothing. In fact, let me give you a principle to live by. When in doubt, don't. Because if you're in doubt, most likely it's your flesh. When you know what the Word of God says, you're not in doubt about what to do. You may be in doubt about whether you want to do it or not, but you're not in doubt about what to say or not say. Okay. So the weapons that God's given to us, which, first of all, it's good news He's given us weapons, but it's only fair if He's put us on a battlefield, and we've studied that, if He's put us on a battlefield to give us weapons. It's only fair that He gives us weapons that have the ability to win. But we've got to use His weapons not the ones we brought into us when we were drafted. You know, if, if you enlist or you're, you're drafted into the army, they don't let you bring your BB gun from home. If you had a precious twenty-two rifle, sorry, it stays home. They have their own weapons that are military standard that they want you to learn how to use. And the same is true in the spiritual warfare we're in. Because we've learned before, you're in it. So instead of trying to use your pea shooter or your BB gun or whatever weapon you think you have, your slingshot, put it down and allow and pick up the weapon that God's given to you. All right. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God or through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the very beginning of our study on spiritual warfare, we saw in verse 10 of Hebrews, of, Hebrews, of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong, what? In the Lord, and in what? The power of His might. So now we're going to learn how to pick up the power of His might so we can be strong in Him. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, through God, through God, 
through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Don't get out there on your own. Don't get out there on your own. In fact, the whole idea of this armor we've been studying is it's literally putting God on. So when you're in battle, all the enemy sees is God. And if there's part of you doing what you want to do, it's your shirt tail sticking out. And that's what he's going to get a hold of. But what, he, what we, God wants us to see is to be walking so much in this armor of who he is and his nature, who we've already learned is in us already, just put it on in the middle of the situation, and, and the enemy has nothing to get a hold of. And we're walking in the power of God's might, not your might. See, he likes to sucker punch you, to try to get you to fight him back. And if you're worn out in the battle, that's a good sign you've been fighting with your own strength. Because God's strength doesn't run out. All right. For the weapons of our warfare are not... But they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And we're going to see three things identified here. There's three things that are identified here. They're strongholds, King James, they're imaginations. In the New King James, it's arguments. And then there's thoughts. Three areas of, uh, that are under attack, that we are attacking. And they're in reverse order, really. Strongholds, arguments or imaginations, and thoughts. All right. Now, casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I saw something in here in all the years I've taught this. I don't think I've ever seen this way before as I was meditating on this and studying this today. Notice what, notice what, notice what these strongholds' purpose is. Notice what the arguments or the imaginations' purpose is. And notice what the thoughts' purpose are. Actually, we can back it up this way. Because ultimately, it's the strongholds. Because, all right, let me break it down this way. Because before I go into this study, I need to explain something else to you about how your, how your mind works. I've said your mind works in patterns of thoughts. Now, most teachings on renewing the mind deal, deal at, the, at the area of, of changing the strongholds and tearing down strongholds, and, 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 but, but they don't deal really at the, at the point of the battle because the point of the battle is at the point of your thoughts. Your mind operates in thoughts. That's the basic unit that your mind operates in, Thoughts. And you can only have one thought at a time. That was one of the principles we taught you last time. They may come very rapidly in very quick progression, but they're only one thought at a time. But every thought has a purpose. Have you ever looked at a photograph on a newspaper under a magnifying glass? Has anybody ever done that? What's it made up of? Dots, right? A series of dots. And if it's typically a black and white picture, it's a series of dots in patterns, and each dot has a different grade of gray, some of them black, some of them white. And those dots are assembled together in such a pattern that when you step back and look at them in, in, from a distance, it doesn't have to be that much of a distance, you see a picture, you see an image. 
your television screen is the same principle. Is that right, engineers? Okay. It's a series of dots. And what happens is when that TV camera captures an image in the studio, the light that's coming off of that image goes through that lens and it's converted into electronic impulses that when it comes back through your television set, it's instructed a a ray that goes across your screen in a series of lines. And the high definition is because they've doubled the lines. That's all they've done. But they go across that light. When you're watching that screen, it's a series of beams going across, and that beam is illuminating dots that are already on your screen. It's called a matrix of dots. And it illuminates them in different intensities and in different colors. And all it is is a series of dots so that when you're watching that picture from a distance, you don't see the little dots. You see the patterns of them together form an image. Right? Well, just trust me, that's right. But if you've looked at a picture on a newspaper, you've actually seen it with your eyes. And some of the older TVs, you can actually go up and see the little dots that are on there that get illuminated. And in fact, they will tell you, you know, you've got got computers, you have something, most of them have something called a screensaver. This thing that comes like, whatever it is, whatever it may be, fish going across, whatever it may be. And there's cute things, but the purpose of that is because if this, they understand that if that same image is left up there overnight, day after day after day, you know what happens? Is eventually those dots on your screen become permanently colored that color. So that now what was a dot that was able to be used to paint changing images becomes permanently fixed. In other words, it becomes a stronghold. A stronghold is an image that's been in your mind so long and is so deeply embedded that it is a reality to you whether it really exists or not. Don't get excited. I'm not getting money out of mine. <laughs> I used him as an example. The other day. Now, I can't do this here because it's too large, but I used to do this in class. I would pass this around. Actually, it was a different one. And say, this is my granddaughter and my grandson. My grandson's back there. My granddaughter's in the choir thing tonight. And I'd pass it around, and I'd let everybody take a look at it and admire them, and then I'd put it back in my wallet and said, actually, I didn't tell you the truth. I'm shocked to say and admit and confess. That's not my grandson, and that's not my granddaughter. It's a picture of them. I know that because my grandson's right back there, and my granddaughter's over in the class. It's just a picture. It's just an image. It's just an image. But that image... The images that are in your mind affect you. Have you ever had a dream that was so real when you got up, you're perspiring or your heart's beating fast or you're upset or whatever it is? I mean, your body is, is physically reacting 
as if what you were dreaming was actually happening to you. But all that was going on in your mind is a series of images. That's the power of images. Most teachings on renewing the mind deal at those levels. So what, what, what a, an image is a picture in your mind that's real to you. A stronghold is when it's been there so long and you've had confidence in it and acted on it so long, it's as real to you as if you were going through it. But the image is nothing more than a picture that you've looked at for a while. And a picture is made up of a series of dots. And so to learn to renew your mind, you cannot take down the old strongholds. What you have to learn to do is replace the old strongholds with new strongholds. And when you stop paying attention to the old strongholds, they gradually fade away. Because remember, the more you think about something, the bigger it gets. So if you're spending your time and energy thinking about the stronghold, trying to tear the stronghold down, all you're doing is meditating on the stronghold and you're just embedding it deeper into the screen of your mind. So what we've got to learn to do is build new strongholds, but to do that, you've got to go back and look at how the old strongholds were built. They were made out of images that you left on that screen too long. Where did the image come? The image is a series of dots. So what happened is you allowed those dots to get formed into patterns in your mind to paint a picture. You allowed that to happen because they were a series of dots that were put into your mind from whatever source with the purpose of forming an image. Don't we call this, I have a poor self-image? We need to change my self-image. It's a stronghold. It's the picture you have of who you are. And it affects what you think you can do and what you think you can't do. You have an image of God that affects what you believe He'll do and what you don't believe He'll do. That's what He's talking about here. That's the stronghold He's talking about here because it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The image, the stronghold that's been built into your mind about who God is and the stronghold that's been built into your mind about who you are controls what you know of God. It doesn't control who God is and it doesn't control who you are It controls how much you know of who you are and how much you know of who He is. So we can't start trying to change ourselves. What we've got to do is go find the image and make sure the image lines up what God says about us and what God says about Himself. And so that's ultimately the focus of this. So the focus of the weapons are to Destroy those strongholds because those strongholds and those high things block us from knowing God.
We talked earlier this evening about peace. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of our Lord. Knowing him affects every area of your life. And the, the more you know what he really is like, the freer and the more like him you become. But Satan's ultimate spiritual warfare is to block the knowledge of God from getting through to us. The knowledge of who he is and the knowledge of who he is to the world. Because when they see what he's like, what, second, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan's the one who blinds the minds of the, those who don't believe. Lest they see the glory of the gospel of Christ that's in God, the glory of the God that's in Christ. The glory of the gospel that's in Christ. Blinds their eyes, the un- people that haven't come to Christ. Why? So they don't see Him. But He blinds our eyes because we haven't changed the image that we have of Him by renewing our mind. So that's ultimately what this is about. But the process we're going to go through is the same process for every stronghold. Okay. So it's at the, it's at the le- level of thoughts or dots. So what we have to learn to do is instead of trying to erase the old strongholds, we form new ones based on the Word of God. But you can't just go home then and decide to form a stronghold. Wouldn't that be nice? Or we, we don't, unfortunately, we don't have stronghold pills. So you can stop by the bookstore on your way out. But, but there are... We, have, we do have to... T- people take pills because of strongholds. But they don't undo the stronghold. They just help you cope with it. Not, ag- not against them, because we need to be able to cope. But that can't be your ultimate goal. If you're just taking the pill to cope, you're going to have to cope the rest of your life. It's okay to take the pill so you can cope while you're building the right strongholds. All right. So the way you establish new strongholds is to create new images. But the way you create new images is by planting new dots. And so the process we're going to learn is how to consciously, purposely put new dots, new thoughts in your mind with the determined purpose of establishing new images so that new strongholds can be established. Does that make sense to you? That's the focus here. That's the goal here. Now, while we're here, in the time we have on this, I want to just cover what I saw this today. I want to talk about some of these words, and then next week we'll begin to get actually into that process because we don't have enough time to do that yet. The word, it's interesting. Verse 5, the word arguments here is a Greek word, logismos, which means a system of thoughts formed by man. A system of thoughts formed by man, or, or one source I looked at said there are thoughts of reason 
that are self-vaunting promote themselves and shut out the knowledge of God. Notice this. It says, casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing. Now, the word thing there actually is a Greek word, which, which means uh, it's the word huzoma, uh, which is a common, excuse me, hoopsoma, which is a combination of hyper and soma. Soma is the word for body, and hyper is the word for above or high. So what this means, it basically means a supernatural power. So this is everything that exalts itself, the casting down arguments and every supernatural power, and one of the other meanings of it is arrogance. That arrogantly exalts itself against the... exalts itself. Exalts itself. To exalt yourself is to pick yourself up and to lift yourself up. Now, my recollection is, back in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, there's a story of someone who tried to exalt themselves over the Most High. And his name was Lucifer. Now, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, around verse 19, how long that lasted. Because he said, I saw him fall like a bolt of lightning from heaven. So we know that rebellion didn't last too long. But the root of it is, he was exalting himself above or to be like the Most High. My own belief, and I'm not going to teach this as what the Bible teaches, I don't believe he was trying to exalt himself over God. I believe he was trying to exalt himself over the Anointed One. He was trying to take the place of the second person of the Godhead. Because he was called the anointed cherub. And he wanted to go from being the anointed cherub to being the anointed son. That's my belief. I can't fully prove it, so, but, I'm, but I wouldn't be shocked. But he wasn't dumb enough to try to take God's pace. But what he was after was the exalted position of his son. Because that's his enemy. That's his mortal enemy. And so he comes to the earth in Genesis 3, and what does he do to Eve? What does he get her to do? He comes to her, and he first of all suggests to her that she can't trust God's motives. He's trying to create a wedge here. He's trying to separate her from, from God in her mind. And then what he tries to do is he tries to, has God said? And then what he tries to say, God's trying to keep something back from you. Because he knows that if you ate of that tree, that you would be like him. So he's trying to keep something back from you. So he's raising up an image of God to her that's different than the image of God she knew. See, there's nothing new. His devices, we saw, his devices are not new. The patterns are all there. He's trying to change her image of God 
Because when she buys his image of God, now she's defenseless. And how does he do it? With thoughts. Starting with doubts. Has God said? Well, let's just question. Let's just, let's just have this, this philosophy and theological discussion, he says to her. Just, just, maybe God meant something else. Let's just, let's just open up. I mean, we need to expand our minds. And that's true in some areas. Which find or use your mind and expand it and grow, but not when it comes to God's Word. Because now you're getting into a realm that God's not designed our mind to handle. God did not design the human mind on its own to handle everything that exists. That's why he said there's a tree you can't eat of. Because the human mind on its own cannot handle the knowledge of good and evil. And if you, don't, if you doubt that, just read tomorrow morning's newspaper or today's, or yesterday's, and see what a wonderful job with all of our intelligence and all of our education, see what a wonderful job we're doing of handling good and evil on our own, apart from God. But it all started with thoughts that he put in her mind that she received to begin to paint a different image of God about his character and his nature. And what was he doing? He didn't care about her. All he's ever been after is to exalt himself. And so his thoughts have as their ultimate goal and root to try to get you and me to exalt ourself above the knowledge of God. Why we don't need him. God's irrelevant now. That's exalting ourselves above the knowledge of God. He's irrelevant. Say, so, well, at least we don't do that. Well, let me ask you a question. And I have to ask myself this question too. I remember Pastor Sam saying one time, and uh uh-huh, was one of those statements he would make. He said, you know, that when you go through a day without praying, what you're really saying is, God, I don't need you today. So we can slip into maybe not the same scale of saying, well, I can handle this one. I can handle this on my own. So what I want you to see here is the goal, and we don't have time to get into it tonight, but there's a whole spirit. The scriptures give us a a glimpse, not a full picture, where it steps back in time and shows us that in the spirit realm, there's this cataclysmic battle going on where God is establishing something. It's in Ephesians, I think it's in two, chapter 2. He's God's proving. He's going to use the church to prove His manifold grace, His manifold wisdom. And He's going to prove it to principalities and powers. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we've studied it. It says, We're transformed by the renewing of the mind that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Who are we proving it to? Who's it being proven to? It's like a giant courtroom scene. And God is establishing something 
in the heavenlies, and he wants to use the church to do it. And the ultimate scene here is who rules. And what, what rules in the end? And Satan's whole contention is that self will rule. If you don't stick up for yourself, who's going to look out for you? That's right out of the pit of hell. Makes sense in this world, but it's exactly what he did. It's exalting self above the knowledge of God. And if we're exalted, then we can't know him. Because, oh, 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 Lord, it's probably just as well I don't have the time. Because much of the church knows who he is, but they don't know him. Because in order to really know him, you have to know him as God, as the authority, not as a resource, not as a sugar daddy, not as our rescuer. He'll rescue us, he'll provide for us. But he's not, he's not just those. That's what he does. That's not who he is. But when we exalt self, we can't know him as God because we're sitting on the throne. And when it comes to ultimate authority, there's only room for one on the throne. And it's either him or it's me. But in reality, it can't be me. It's the one I'm serving. Because <laughs> you're serving somebody. And there are only two out there. So we're either serving God as God, or we're serving the God of this world. Now, we may not know we're doing it. We may not mean to be doing it. But remember, he's a deceiver. That means he gets you doing things you don't mean to do, don't want to do, but you're still doing them and having that effect. Is my life advancing and promoting the kingdom of God? Or is my life advancing and promoting the kingdom of the God of this world? With the best of intentions. If I'm out there doing my own thing, even though my own things are things for God, most likely I'm promoting the kingdom of the world because I'm not doing it under His authority. Oh, we got to end. It's just as well. (laughs) I may start meddling, and I don't want (laughs) to. We'll pick up here.